0: The Horse and Hound Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Horse and Hound Podcast Daily Tokyo Special, supported by Togi. Well, we are calling this a daily podcast special, but I have to say that here in Tokyo, it feels a bit more like a nightly special. It is quarter to one in the morning after the second day of Grand Prix,
1: and I am here with my colleague, Polly Bryan. How's it going with you, Polly? It's going very well, Pippa. We had such a great day again today. And I am just very thrilled and relieved to say that the British team are into the team final. They've qualified to compete for the team medals in the special on Tuesday. All three British riders, Charlotte Dujardin, Karl Hester and Lottie Fry, are also all through to the individual final, the freestyle. Brilliant. So that is very much
0: mission accomplished for the British team from these first couple of days of competition. And we will delve a little further into the format and how we got to this point and what happens next later on in the podcast. But first of all, let's talk about an incredibly popular British rider, the only one who rode today, Charlotte de Jardin, who came forward with her little chestnut horse, Geo, known as Pumpkin.
1: Tell us about Charlotte's performance, Polly. Charlotte's test was for me, it was such a joy to watch. It was pretty much faultless. Uh, lots of things to improve, for sure, and Charlotte will be striving to do that on Tuesday and Wednesday. Pumpkin is only—he's only about sixteen hands on his tiptoes—and but just to see him cantering down the centre line at his first Olympics, those little ears pricked really hard, and just such a wonderful expression on his face. Uh, their test for me was the picture of harmony. I loved it every second. And she scored over eighty percent. She did. For the first time, actually, in a
0: Grand Prix. Wow, that's great news. Yeah, with I, pumpkin. The, the setup that we have, uh, which we'll also talk about a little more later, but doesn't allow you to see the trending scores and to watch a screen of the test at the same time. So I was standing <laughs> watching the trending scores and looking over to the arena and relaying them back to Polly by WhatsApp while she watched on the screen to see a bit more detail. So there was a good bit of tag teaming by horse yeah. now at that point. But throughout the test, she was trending between 80 and 81%, which was then reflected in her final mark. And you did speak to Charlotte after that test, Polly. She must have been pretty
1: happy. She was so happy, yeah. She was absolutely... She was buzzing, actually. She was on really, really good form. She was really, really thrilled. She was... She's just so proud of that horse. She loves him so much. I think she could talk for six hours straight about how much she loves him. And quite frankly, I'll be quite happy to listen, but perhaps other journalists might not want to spend that much time talking to one rider. And uh, of course, it's it's worth uh, mentioning that Charlotte is still the reigning Olympic champion. Rio does feel a long way away, a long time ago. But she is the reigning Olympic champion um, with Vallegro. We caught up with her earlier this month, actually, to find out what it feels like to be coming to an Olympic Games with a new young horse.
0: You know, like to have done what I did with is incredible, to now have bought a young horse, trained it up to get it to an Olympic Games. Super proud. And yeah, I mean, it's always a huge honour to be going to an Olympics to represent your country. So Polly, let's talk a little bit more about the format and what's been happening over these past couple of days. I know we mentioned it on last night's podcast. So forgive us or yesterday's podcast, I should say. So forgive us if you listen to that and you've got a brilliant memory. But I think it is hard for some people to get their heads around. Give us a recap on what's been happening.
1: It is hard for people to get their heads around and uh, we realised today there's actually quite a few riders that don't quite have their heads around it as well and they are being luckily told when to uh, when to ride and when to get on and, and that's enough, but they don't quite understand. So the Grand Prix acted as a, um, a dual qualifier. It qualified the top eight teams through to ride for the team medals on Tuesday and they will begin that competition, the special, on a clean slate. So the top team to come out of the Grand Prix was Germany followed by Great Britain, followed by denmark Uh, and i was quite chuffed because they are my medal predictions but that means nothing apart from a potential indicator of what might happen because as i said they will go into the special with a completely clean slate the other thing that the grand prix acts to qualify for is the grand prix freestyle which is the individual final and that is um the top two riders from each of the six groups that the Grand Prix was split into automatically qualify plus the six next best riders. And this doesn't equate necessarily to the top 18 if you look at all 60 riders as a whole most of the time it does but there was it was interesting that carl was um he was drawn in in a very difficult group a very strong group um which was shown by the fact that the top five riders in that group out of 10 went through to the freestyle in other groups it was just those top two
0: yeah so you could end up with somebody who actually topped or came second in their group and therefore automatically qualified through but actually isn't in the top 18 scores so isn't sort of in the top 18 on the leaderboard but does get through
1: I would say it's more the case that somebody who um, came fourth or fifth in their group actually scored higher than someone in another group who might have come second in their group. I'd say it's probably unlikely, I'd have to go through the scores with a fine tooth comb, unlikely that someone who qualified straight through wouldn't actually be in the top 18. But it, it, it might be that there's a tense moment for a rider who who scored higher than a rider who is safely through.
0: Okay. I think I've just about got my own head around that. <laughs> Polly, were you able to talk to any riders about what they think about the format? Um, having already mentioned some of them maybe don't understand it, but was there a feeling from the riders about how it was going?
1: Yeah, so I asked quite a few riders about this and most of them were, were certainly being very diplomatic about it. Um, nobody wanted to say too much about the format it might be because several of them, you know, didn't quite have their heads around it themselves. Charlotte did admit that, that, you know, she didn't fully understand it quite yet. But I got the impression that there are mixed feelings sort of behind the lines about it. Uh, Dorothy Schneider, actually, uh, she said that she'll be very interested to see if it happens again. She'll be interested to see what the sort of analysis that will inevitably come after this competition throws up. And I think I'm, I'm very interested to see that as well. What are your personal thoughts about it, Polly. I've been thinking a lot about this today. I think it helps that I've got my head around this at last. I think I like it, you know. I i certainly think I like it for an Olympics. It seems to be much more in line with some other Olympic sports. For example, yesterday, um, before going to the venue for the first day of Grand Prix, I actually watched a little bit of, of the rowing and I watched a few of the early heats, including uh, the one with the uh, British pair, Helen Glover and Polly Swan. And I noted that in their heat, it was it was slower than another heat. I think the third place boat in the first heat was faster than the second placed boat in Helen's heat. And that is just what happens. That's what happens in heats, which was essentially what the Grand Prix was. I think it makes for a really exciting competition. I think if you were somebody who was among the top 18 scores, but not among the 18 who got through, that would be very frustrating. But in the main, I I think it works pretty well. So I've got a thought on this, which
0: is really that this is about presentation of our sport. And we were not obviously watching on telly, as a lot of you were at home. And we also weren't in a position to hear the arena commentary. So I can't really say um, how any of that was being done, except that uh, I am married to a a commentator who's doing some (laughs) telly commentary, who some of you may have been hearing. And I do know the arena commentary, and I have faith in both of those people. And I really hope that in the way the sport was being presented to you as spectators, and had there been any spectators in the arena... They were being clear on how this worked. They were announcing the qualifiers at the end of every heat. They would have been saying, so Lottie Fry and so-and-so are the automatic qualifiers from this first heat because I feel that the correct presentation could make a massive difference here to the fans. I would also suggest that we call them heats in the future so we don't yeah. have Group A, Group B. We have Heat A, Heat B. I think that would really help people to grasp it.
1: I really agree, actually, because we are I think we're used to the concept of heats in other sports. That doesn't really seem weird it seems weird in a in a question of sports because that is not how they have historically been done but at least it would bring it more into line with other sports and as i said in an olympics context I I think (laughs) I'm feeling positive about it I also really liked actually that the top riders um were spread across the day or across the two days rather than all coming at the end as is so often the case you know in in the normal format and I actually suspect that they really liked that as well because of course so, so much of the time for example Carl and Charlotte ride very very close to one another they're both having to work in at the same time they can't help each other in the way that they of course do so on a daily basis at home and they're so they benefit it so much from
0: yeah definitely an interesting point in each heat sort of came to a climax rather than just the whole day so polly back to some
1: individual horses and riders who else impressed you today aside from charlotte so uh, the final rider of the day the final rider of the whole grand prix competition was isabel werth from germany she is the world number one hence why she was last to go and she scored 82 percent with her lovely chestnut mare bella rose for me, Isabel's test certainly had a lot of strengths. I preferred Charlotte's test, if I'm going to be honest. I preferred Charlotte's. Isabel is an absolutely formidable sports person, though. And it was such a joy to chat to her after the test and hear her thoughts. She's she's so willing and open with her time, with the media. And I really respect that as well as, of course, her riding ability one of the other uh, combinations who i just fell in love with today was the lovely pair from denmark karina kasakrut i think is the way you pronounce her name i apologize if it is not and her lovely mare helene's danciera they are they're just the picture of elegance picture of harmony the mayor's incredibly talented Karina rides beautifully and they topped their group um, actually beating the USA's Adrian Lyle who would have been my pick to top her group they are really a very, very strong combination for Denmark. And I think there's one
0: other German rider that you wanted to mention as well, Polly, who also went today. You've mentioned her name earlier. Ooh,
1: yes, Dorothy Schneider. Um, she is one of my favourite riders as well. I absolutely adore her horse Showtime. And the fact that they have had a really, a really bumpy ride together since since they competed at Rio, actually. Especially this year, Dorothy broke her collarbone in April and has done so well to, to get to the Olympics. She didn't even really start her season with Showtime until May. Uh, they had a they had a really good test. They had a pretty major blip in one of their pirouettes, and Dorothy was keen to stress that she is very confident that their scores will improve over the course of this competition, as as that is what tends to happen with that horse. And and I also would expect her scores to uh, to go up relatively significantly, actually great so those were definitely the high points of today i think
0: we've got one really sad low that we need to mention something that happened early in the day sport polly fill us in on that
1: yes this was really sad i really really felt for london-based singaporean rider caroline chu who has actually made history as being the first singaporean dressage rider at an olympics she and Tribiani are a lovely pair. Uh, they've been together a long time. They were, would, would, you know doing a, a pretty good job of their Olympics debut, and she was very sadly called up and eliminated by the judge at sea, who spotted some blood in the corner of the horse's mouth. As we have seen in other situations, this can and does happen. Caroline was obviously mortified absolutely gutted she's a she's a lovely rider she was not riding roughly these things happen and of course the rules are the rules and they're there for a reason so it was correct that she was eliminated i was really struck by how positive and gracious caroline was when she came through the mix zone shortly afterwards She was very willing to talk about it. She was very willing to explain what had happened and explain her feelings. And I think that was really brave because I think if that was me, I would have wanted to run to the furthest corner and hide from everybody.
0: Yeah, and it was really nice. The riders... The, the big nations will have a team attache, a press attache with them, mm. who is sort of like a bridge between the riders and the press. That person sort of sits between those those two factions. They come and sit in the press office with us and write press releases for their governing bodies and so on. But in the mix zone, they stand on the side of the riders and are sort of there to guide them through. And it was quite touching to see that Winnie Murphy, who is the press attache for the British delegation, was there actually helping Caroline out through the mix zone in that situation. Even though she's not a British rider, she is British based and she's from a country that wouldn't supply her with a press attache, it was nice to see Winnie helping out there and uh, and, and helping Caroline and standing beside her through some difficult interviews.
1: Yeah, it really was. That was, I can imagine, very, very helpful and reassuring for Caroline. Um, Winnie is absolutely wonderful. And uh, there was actually another rider who really impressed me in the mix zone, and that was the Australian rider, Kelly Lane. She had quite a disappointing ride um, with Samhitas, who was... He was relatively difficult through the test. It did not go the way that she had hoped and planned. But she, again, was was very gracious. She was very positive. She said some really interesting things about how she copes in a test when it's not going to plan and how she, you know, focuses on the next movement and doesn't dwell on what's just happened. And, you know, it it never fails to impress me how so many of these riders are so willing to come and talk to the media, even when things have gone badly. I Having spoken to a few of the uh, members of the main, mainstream press in the mix zone today, they mentioned that in other sports, that really doesn't happen. If someone's had a bad round or a bad swim or a bad run, they so often will refuse to say anything at all. And that does happen in horse sport, but it's rare. Yeah, and uh, for those who don't know
0: what a mix zone is, it's sort of a, a playpen where riders and journalists can uh, can meet and the journalists are sort of kept behind a fence and the riders on the other side and the interviews all happen there at an Olympics. And athletes are obliged to come through the mix zone at an Olympics. They're not obliged to say anything. They can exercise that right to to stay silent as such. We were talking today, Polly and I, about how well the mix zone is working here in Tokyo. There are some special protocols that have been put in place because of COVID. The numbers are limited in that mix zone and there's a lot of... Normally the mix zone is very crowded. People are pushing, they're jostling. You've got someone leaning their notebook on your back. Everyone's trying to shove (laughs) their microphones or their recorders under the rider's nose. It's a very close environment where there are a lot of people. We have obviously social distancing in the mix zone now, limiting Mm. of numbers. The the barriers are arranged in a sort of U shape. So a group of journalists of maybe six or eight can gather around one rider. The rider stands behind a table two metres from the journalists and... In, on the table there's a tray and the tray is carried around by a volunteer at the beginning of the interview and everyone puts their phones or dictaphones down on that tray that then goes on the table next to the rider so good good sound picking up for uh, for people mm. to record what the riders are being said without having to you know be sticking uh, sticking their hands under the rider's nose and, and being able to get them close enough while still saying two meters away so funnily enough, Polly and I actually bought selfie sticks to bring with us because we were concerned about that two metre gap in advance. But that tray has uh, solved all our problems. And uh, there's a kind volunteer who then brings the tray around and hands you back your phone at the end all in a very COVID secure way. So it's brilliant to see how that's working. I've been down in the mix zone, Polly, chatting some more riders from different countries to get some
1: tales from Tokyo today. Oh, yes, you have. You have been very busy in the mix zone today. And I know you've chatted some really fascinating people. I mean, there's, there's too many to pick out, a favourite probably, but who is a standout story for you? Um, I think Laurence Roos was my standout
0: story. She is a girl called Laurence, um, Belgian, and I went into that interview knowing that she was a dentist but not knowing any more details, so I prodded a little around that story because amateur riders are so interesting in our sport and she is a genuine, a genuine working rider. She owns her own dental practice. She sees patients from early in the morning to late at night but takes a long lunch break to ride. Ride her horses because she says her patients would prefer generally to see her before or after work so that works out well for her and her patients and the horses that she takes that longer lunch break to ride in the middle of the day what i didn't know about her and what came out at the end of the interview is that she lost her grandfather to COVID 19 recently and that grandfather was the person who bought her phil rouge the horse she's riding here in tokyo so that ended up being a pretty emotional interview so that was that was a
1: big one today I heard the end of, of that interview when she was talking about her grandfather and I have to admit I I welled up a little bit it was it was very emotional wasn't it it
0: definitely was and later on I uh, I spoke to a Chilean rider called Virginia tapur she came into the mix zone and uh she said she didn't speak English we didn't have any Spanish speakers in the mix zone so um, but she had someone with her who did speak English and who very kindly helped me out to have a bit of a chat with her Virginia is the first Chilean rider to represent her country in Olympic dressage in 53 years it's 53 years since we last had Chilean dressage riders at a games she's a mother of five boys aged 12 to 23 (laughs) pretty incredible she's a tiny petite woman but yeah mother of five strapping sons I don't know they're strapping I haven't seen them I'm, I'm making that up <laughs> she's the mother of five sons aged 12 to 23 and she just said that she knows she'll have millions of messages when she opens her phone and they'll all be shouting and cheering for her which was lovely to hear
1: oh my gosh I love that oh yeah what it was, a little support squad no
0: totally it was a great story and yep I've got I've got so many more of these of these tales to write up I got a bit confused by the end of today about who was who but luckily they're all safely recorded in my phone and I'll be uh, writing uh, probably another couple to tonight we're finished with this podcast and then some more tomorrow but we will be talking a bit more about tuesday and the rest of the competition after this short break the horse and ham podcast daily tokyo special is supported by toggy shop the sport outdoor and british equestrian team gbr collection at toggy.com technical tested trusted toggy So, Polly, before we finish off for tonight, we have to preview the next day of competition, which is Tuesday. Uh, So Monday, a rest day for the dressage horses. So give us a reminder of what's going
1: to be happening on Tuesday. So Tuesday is the all-important team final. The top eight teams that went through from the Grand Prix are Germany, Britain, Denmark, the USA, the Netherlands, Sweden, Portugal and Spain. But of course, that order is only indicative because, as we mentioned earlier, all of those teams go forward to Tuesday on a clean slate. Listeners,
0: I just wanted to tell you that Polly did name those eight teams without looking at any piece of paper or reference, so I was impressed. <laughs> but uh, I think what Polly was about to go on to say before I interrupted her was that as well as being indicative of what might happen, there is some uh, representation around the order of starting order, the order of go. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is true. Um, so it does influence the the starting order in that the... 24 riders in the special that's the eight teams of three i i definitely had to think about that maths uh, because it's so late at night they will be split into three groups of eight and in each group will be one rider from each team The first two groups will compete in the in reverse order of merit based on their results from the Grand Prix. The starting order of the final group, though, this is where it gets really exciting. They will ride based on the team standings after the first two groups have ridden. So theoretically, that will mean it comes right down to the wire because the last rider, again, theoretically, should be the one riding for the gold medal. And that does mean that there will have to be a
0: bit of a break after the first two groups, we assume, um, so they can work out what that order is and give sort of the first riders in that final, uh, that final group due notice of their starting times. We don't know exactly how long that break will be, but it'll be interesting to see how that pans out on mm. Tuesday. So, Polly, just to finish off, tell us what are you hoping for, looking for from the Brits coming up on Tuesday?
1: Oh, well, I would have to say that I hope that Lottie and Charlotte do exactly the same as they've already done. Uh, Perhaps, you know, up their marks a little bit. I know they are both capable of going higher, those two horses, Everdale and Pumpkin. Carl Hester was the Brit who had a couple of mistakes in his ride yesterday. It was nonetheless a really lovely ride, a very masterful performance from Carl. He will certainly be hoping to go for uh, a clear round, uh, to go for a mistake-free test because that horse can score a lot higher than the 75 he got yesterday. And on that note,
0: let's hear from Carl about how the special suits on Vogue. The special is, of course, the team test which determines the medal. Now, Vogue is much more suited to the special normally uh, than the Grand Prix. So he has this, you know, because he has this wonderful, uh, all that canter work in there he loves doing generally I hope I'm not speaking too soon here Um, and he has this you know wonderful trot and the special is a really nice test to ride we're having the added bonus this year of having some music put to it so it just makes it a little bit more exciting for the crowd but uh, this will work hopefully uh, in his favour that it's about the special because uh, certainly um, he, he feels much easier to ride in that than the Grand Prix Okay. Thank you, Carl, for your thoughts there. So we are wrapping up our daily podcast now. The Dressage Horses have a day off on Monday. Polly and I do not have a day off. Um, There'll (laughs) be plenty of writing and uh, going on, finishing up things from today. No doubt there'll probably be some breaking news. There always seems to be. Um, Mm -hmm. Our photographer, Peter Nixon, and I are also planning to head up to the venue in the evening because there is an eventers training session and we have been given permission, kindly organized again by winnie murphy who we mentioned earlier to for peter to photograph the british horses jumping under floodlights in that training session so something we're hoping to bring you in pictures on our website if things work out well with that so looking forward to getting up to the venue and clapping eyes on some Aventors tomorrow
1: very exciting. I spotted a couple of uh, Irish eventers in the mix zone doing a pre-arranged interview and I texted Pippa to say, there's a Irish eventers nearby. I don't know who they are. Their backs are to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, listeners, Sam Watson
0: and Sarah Ennis and their chef-to-keep Sally Corscadden were, as uh, Polly says, in the mix zone doing a bit of an interview today and having a chat Well, thank you so much for tuning in to our daily podcast. We will have a day off from the podcast tomorrow with the fact that we don't have any sport. So we'll be back with our next daily episode on Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Horse and Hound podcast daily Tokyo special supported by Toggy.